Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the James Wilson Show. My name is James Wilson and today we will be talking about lack of enthusiasm from Biden voters. We'll also get to backlash for reopening the economy in Georgia and of course we'll talk about why the stimulus checks are not the same thing as making a monthly or reoccurring check payment. Stay tuned, you're listening to The James Wilson Show. All right, so again, if you have not heard the news yet, a website is coming soon. Of course, I'll make all the information available as soon as it comes out. Lots of extra fun content. We've got, of course, the podcast episodes that I do every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And we've got some articles coming, which I'll be writing weekly for the website. I already got about 9, 10 going for when the website first launches. And of course, we'll have features where you can actually ask questions um, on the website where I'll actually answer on the show in one of the episodes. So stay tuned for all of that. If you're curious, um, stay tuned and I'll give you more information on that. But So without further ado, let's get into what we are talking about today on April 29th. So April 29th. 187 days, I believe, before November 3rd, which is the day the 2020 election is going to be happening this year. It's it's possibly going to be between Trump and Biden because Biden is the presumptive nominee. So that's what most of us are thinking, but things are still happening. So we'll keep an open mind. But for now, Biden is the quote unquote Democratic nominee. He's presumptive. So we'll be assuming throughout this show and more that he will be facing Donald Trump. And one of the problems that Joe Biden has been having is not only his lack of enthusiasm, but that also translates to the lack of enthusiasm on his voters' part, which is actually an essential part. That's a, that's an essential part of winning the presidency. When you look at Trump, he has very strong enthusiasms. He can really get a crowd, um, you know, at a rally, you know, all over the United States. He's got really strong supporters. And that's definitely not the case with Joe Biden. And when you look back on 2016, this is one of the reasons why Donald Trump beat Hillary Clinton. Many people were not very enthusiastic about Hillary Clinton, or at least not to the point where they thought that she was going to lose. They thought that Donald Trump was going to lose, so they weren't very enthusiastic about voting for her because they thought that she was going to win. So many thought Hillary Clinton was going to win, but she didn't because many people didn't come out to vote for her. Now, that's going to be the same problem that Joe Biden has. As we'll get to in a second, Joe Biden does have a, a good a good lead in the polling numbers against Donald Trump. Now, of course, we're in the middle of a pandemic right now, so that might change a little bit, but the fact still remains that Biden is ahead in the polling according to Real Clear Politics. What's going to really hurt him at the election is the more, you know, after the coronavirus, you have to go to rallies, you have to be outside of his living room, and people are going to start to realize how he really cannot string a sentence together. But other than that, it's going to be his enthusiasm. And that's something that Bernie Sanders was really good at. He was really good at getting enthusiastic crowd, enthusiastic rallies and supporters. And that's what you need against Donald Trump. And that's not what Joe Biden has. So the Daily Wire reports, quote, President Trump is leading former Vice President Joe Biden by double digits in voter enthusiasm. Biden, the presumptive Democratic presidential nominee, has consistently beaten Trump in national polling and continues to outperform the incumbent by about six percentage points, according to Real Clear Politics polling average. 
Despite Biden's polling numbers, Trump's voters remain much more excited about re-electing Trump than Biden's up after about beating the president. Are about beating the president. When voters were asked how excited they were they are to vote for their favorite candidate, 64% of Trump voters answered that they are extremely or very excited to cast their ballot for the president. Biden voters measured considerably less enthusiasm with just 45% falling within the same categories according to an Emerson College poll released on Tuesday. Voters with, with both camps generally believe that Trump will win in November. According to Emerson, 50% of voters believe Trump will re re win re-election in November versus just 43% of voters who think Biden, Biden will hold office next year. Now, this is actually very shocking, especially because we live in a very polarized political world for people on the other side to admit that they think Trump is probably going to win. You, you know, you got a lot of people on the conservative side, no matter what, they think Trump will win. Now, I happen to be in that vote, not not because of my support for him, which I do have a lot of support for him, but because of the fact, you know, when you look at Joe Biden, you see that he's falling apart and, you know, there's even allegations against him right now. It's going to be tough going into the 2020 election. But let's talk about a couple of key important things that we just read. 64% of Trump voters answered that they are extremely or very excited to vote for President Donald Trump. Now that, you know, seems, you know, there's still 40%. You may be wondering where the 40% is. But then you look at Joe Biden, who's only at around 45%. Now this is crazy because that's la that's less than half of the Democratic Party. And that is not good because if you got your voters, the people who say they support you over over Trump, not enthusiastic that they probably will not vote, they probably won't go out to vote in November, even though they may support you, and they think that President Donald Trump is going to win. If you think that President Donald Trump is not going to win, you're not going to vote. And if you got a long lot of strong support on the other side, they're going to be the ones voting, which will assure that Trump is going to win again in 2020. So this is something that Democrats have to be looking forward to for um, looking at, and especially Joe Biden. He has to realize at this point that you still got Bernie Sanders, who had a lot more progressive, you know, radical proposals over Joe Biden. There's a poll that we read a couple episodes ago that 12 to 15 percent of, of um, Bernie Sanders voters say that they'll vote for Trump over Joe Biden. Now, that's really saying something because that's that's a lot of the Democratic Party right there. And that's why you may see a split in the Democratic Party from the more progressives and from the more moderates. But this is something that Joe Biden has to be looking extremely carefully at, because if he goes too far progressive, the reason he was elected was because he was more moderate than Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, or practically any other candidate on the stage. But if he stays too moderate, he's still got that large percentage of the Democratic Party, the 12 who's going to vote for Trump, you know, who originally supported Bernie Sanders, and over half the party that, you know, isn't very enthusiastic about you. You've got all of these problems. So Biden is going to have a very tough time. He's going to have to walk a tightrope. It would be a miracle if he's able to balance this correctly, especially because of the shape that he is in right now, you know, being able to give a speech. You know, he, he can't cite the Declaration of Independence, not because he doesn't have it memorized, 
but because he can't string a sentence together, you know? So you've got all of these problems that are looking really good for Trump, even in the midst of a pandemic. So, you know, very good for Trump, not so good for Joe Biden. If Joe Biden wants to have a chance, even though, even though he has a 6% lead in the real clear politics polls, he needs to change something or else he has no chance against President Donald Trump. So getting to more coronavirus news, there's been some reopening backlash. So Georgia is, you know, deciding to reopen the economy, as I've been saying on the show for a while. But before we get into reasons why people are mad that Georgia's reopening, let's talk about why the economy closed in the first place. And that is because we have to admit we were widely unprepared for this pandemic. Two things. We were unprepared and the fact that the that China wasn't giving us correct information and the World Health Organization was basically a mouthpiece for China spreading that misinformation. Again, the World Health Organization said on January 15th that there is no evidence of human-to-human transmission. And that's because China said so. Taiwan notified them otherwise, but when you've got a big organization shouting this message all around the world, it's going to make it very hard to be prepared. So we were widely underprepared for this pandemic when it came to medical masks, medical equipment, such as ventilators, you know, all of this other technology that is needed and help people breathe and stay safe from this pandemic. And also the fact that we didn't really know what was coming. We didn't know the death rates. We didn't know how, how many people this affected. And because China lied through this all, we didn't really know what to do. And because of this, the government told us that we were going to be shut down for two weeks. At least, you know, lots of state and local governments. Two weeks. So we could get our equipment together and that we could fight this pandemic. After two weeks, it became another two weeks. After another two weeks, it became a month. After a month, it became more weeks. Because the idea shifted from we need to be prepared to this pandemic to we need to solve and cure this pandemic. And that is a serious difference that we need to be considering. If if they told us that they wanted to lock us down for 18 months until we found a cure, no one would be locked down. The way for the government to do it, the way they had to do it if they wanted to shut it down, was to tell us two weeks that we need to be prepared. As, sho- as soon as they had us in our houses, you know, they could say longer. So the point of this all was not to slow the spread. It was not to become prepared. It was, a- it was to lock us in our houses so-, so we could try and cure this pandemic, which we don't know when is going to happen. So that's not an option we need to be considering any longer. The whole point of being locked down over the last month was to be prepared. So now it's time, like they had originally said, that we get back out there and reopen the economy. The economy has been has been brutal in America as many, you know, workers are losing their jobs, businesses having to let go of many people, you know, not being able to get a sustainable income. The government is telling businesses that they're either essential or unessential. You know, there's stats that unemployment may raise to 30% through the course of this. The Dow Jones is way down farther than it used to as it almost hit $30,000. So there's a lot of economic consequences that we now need to uh, address. And that's because we're looking through the lens that we needed to be prepared for this through the shutdown, not that we needed to find a cure for it. So with that said, the Atlantic 
um, had a lot of interesting things to say about Georgia's idea to reopen and actually reopening. So they said, quote, I'll just give a couple of quick snippets and then we'll talk about it. Georgia's experiment in human sacrifice. The state is about to find out how many people need to lose their lives to shore up the economy. Kemp's order, Kemp being the governor of Georgia, shocked people across the country. Kemp's move to reopen was condemned by scientists, high-ranking Republicans from his own state, and Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms. It even drew a public rebuke from President Donald Trump, who had reportedly approved the measures before distancing himself from the governor amid the backlash. So if this is all true, if this is what The Atlantic is reporting, I side with the Georgia governor, not President Donald Trump on this. And that is, you know, consistency. That is the consistent idea that we need to stay, we need to not not stay open, but we need to reopen as, you know, the many people are losing money and losing their jobs, which is unsustainable. We look, what is what is Congress doing? What are Democrats doing? They're pushing more and more money. Nancy Pelosi is already advocating for the phase four bill that would add, you know, possibly monthly, um, monthly checks to, you know, Americans. And that is something we'll get to in a second. But you start to realize that, you know, many people want us to stay in our homes until there is a cure and that they'll be giving cash payments until this is all over. But as we've already seen, there's many people who are not happy with this. Many conservatives, myself included, you know, need, we need to see that the economy reopens. And so there's a lot of resistance. And the longer you keep us in their houses, the more you create a system of government reliance, which is something that we cannot have in the United States. So we already talked about why this was shut down in the first place. It should be no surprise that Georgia is reopening. You know, it's been a month later, but at least we're starting to see states, including Texas, start to reopen. You know, because you know, not very transparent, not very honest when you tell people that we need to be more prepared. And then once you have them in our houses, you tell them we're waiting till a cure. So as we look at the economy, we see that this is more and more important. Something that the Atlantic does point out is that this was condemned by many scientists and high-ranking Republicans in his own states. But it's public health experts' jobs to analyze how many people could possibly die from a pandemic. And as I've stated before, the flu kills 20 to 40, 20 to 60,000 Americans in the United States every year. If it, if we are trying to take the solution that would save the most public lives possible, we would be doing this forever. We would, we would be in complete isolation, social distancing forever and locked in our houses because the flu still kills tens of thousands of people every year. And if you really wanted to save every one of those lives, those would be the precautions you have to take. Now, there's always going to be um, condemning on that side because you've got to balance the economy and public health. And that doesn't always mean it will side perfectly on the public health side, which is something that we cannot do. I've, we've seen over the past couple of weeks that the economy has been shrinking dramatically, even as we close for even just a month. But another important thing to mention about this is, you know, the White House introduced a plan to go through phases to try and reopen, and that includes having to be on a negative, slower course, you know, less reported cases, deaths. There's a couple of different options, and I won't get into specifics because I don't know all the details, but, you know, so there's talk of how we need to follow those steps. 
However, when we look at this antibody testing, we find that the coronavirus was already much more widespread before we were all shut in our houses. We already have, you know, lots of people who are immune to this disease who already have the antibodies to fight off coronavirus, you know, if they're exposed to it again. So that means that the death rate, the amount of diseases, this, um, the amount of disease that it kills every thousand people is actually much lower than we actually predicted. And this should be a sign that we need to be getting out there and restarting the economy. You know, as we see that the death rate is lower, as we see that the coronavirus is less, you know, of a threat than we thought it was, thanks to China and the World Health Organization who was telling us this information, this is an alarm that we need to, to wake up and we need to restart our economy as soon as possible. So our last story of the day, as I've already sort of mentioned, is the fact that they're trying to pass the phase four stimulus bill, especially Nancy Pelosi, who's been on that. I've talked in previous episodes about this, you know, how <laughs> how instead of focusing on the stimulus checks, instead of focusing on government giving out more money, we actually need to be focusing on getting people back to work and creating a more sustainable option. Because what we are doing right now is not sustainable. You start to look at it and you realize that you're going to have to give out these cash payments. Everyone is complaining about how this wasn't actually that planned out and it's not going as well as it's planned, and how the money is not enough. And that is something I agree with 100%. The money is not enough. It will never be enough as you continue to say shut down. The longer you're shut down, the more money you're going to need. And as we see now, businesses are still laying off employees. Workers are still losing their jobs, wondering how they're going to feed their families. So this sort of spending is unsustainable. So that's point number one. And point number two is where are they getting all of this money? Where are they getting the money to fund businesses and Americans? Well, they're, you know, having taxes, which tax businesses and Americans. So it's like a, essentially a redistribution of wealth. But the longer you have everything shut down, the less money you're going to be collecting and the more you're going to get in debt and bankrupt the United States government. So this is not a sustainable solution at all. However, Nancy Pelosi is suggesting that this continues, and just in line with what I just suggested, she wants this to be a continuous payment just like the UBI. Now, I've talked about on the show before why, you know, many people are going back and saying maybe Andrew Yang was right about this. A $1,200 one-time check is not what Andrew Yang was proposing, and even then, many conservatives, Republicans we're questioning, more moderates and even independents, we're questioning how we are going to pay for this. Now, of course, you shut down businesses, so you owe them something. You can't just say, that stinks to be you, we shut you down because you're no longer quote-unquote essential. That doesn't make any sense. But many were wondering how we were going to pay for this. And now we're trying to pass the phase four stimulus bill, which would, which would cost even more money. So it's not UBI that they're after, it's paying back businesses who they shut down. No conservative or Republican from that is suggesting that we need to be giving a thousand dollar payment from then on after that. That wouldn't make any sense and that would be that would be supporting UBI, which it isn't what most conservatives and Republicans are doing at this point. So with that said, the Fox Fox News reports House Speaker Nancy Pelosi this week floated the possibility of a guaranteed minimum income as part of a potential phase four response to the coronavirus 
crisis, an idea being pushed by left-wing members of the Democratic Party, such as Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Democrat from New York, and Senator Bernie Sanders, independent from Vermont. Let's see what works, what is optional, and what needs other attention. Others have suggested a minimum income, a guaranteed income for people. Is that worthy of attention now? Perhaps so, she said on MSNBC on Monday. Nancy's Nancy Pelosi's remarks come amid a discussion about the next stage of the stimulus package, which Pelosi has termed CARES 2, to boost the economy and provide relief to businesses and families. Hang on, we're going to pause there. So as Democrats, you know, possibly even some Republicans, I'm not sure of all the details, are talking about boosting the economy, what they're looking over is the fact that the best way to boost the economy is to reopen the economy. You can keep pumping money into the economy, but the best way to get workers' lives back to normal is to reopen. So this is an alternative solution, but again, it's not sustainable, and it creates a system of government reliance. Democrats have already said the package should include at least $500 billion in aid to state and local governments. A minimum guaranteed income is an idea that was popularized by former 2020 hopeful Andrew Yang. Calls for it have increased and the economic downturn connected to the coronavirus pandemic, with left-wing lawmakers calling to make the one-off stimulus payments bigger and a monthly feature. Now, before we get into what this means from a coronavirus standpoint, standpoint, let's actually talk about what they're saying, a UBI program. Are, are Democrats not at all concerned about how much this would cost? We've already calculated this, you know, before on the show, but, you know, $1,200 to every American every month would end up being trillions of dollars every year. You know, you know a large percentage of our, our national debt that we already have, and the more we look at it through that lens, the less we're ever going to be able to solve one of the biggest problems we have, which is the national debt. Now, of course, there's many problems the United States has. Well, one of them happens to be the financial situation, because if the United States government goes bankrupt, you know, we're in a problem. They already are bankrupt. They're already $22 trillion in debt. If you know someone who's in $22 trillion of debt, let me know, because that would be a terrible, terrible situation. Another question to ask from UBI. If everyone gets $1,000 a month, how much would $1,000 actually be worth? And that is one of the common concerns of of uh, creating a living wage. So, of course, you've got the problem where it would make it much harder for small businesses to exist. But one of the other issues is if you raise the minimum wage, businesses are going to raise their prices because they're having to pay more. You know, a, you know, a common idea. And as as we've seen, you know, the minimum wage used to be a lot lower. And what also used to be lower was prices, you know, for things. So, you know, that argument also goes into UBI. If everyone has $1,000 a month, how much will $1,000 actually be worth? And businesses will be taking note of that. You know, Americans and, gov- and the government will be taking note about how much that is actually worth if everyone has it all of a sudden. Because money is valuable, but if every, all of a sudden everyone has $1,000 a month, how much will that actually be worth? So that is a really good question that we have to be asking about UBI. If the goal is to help people, will it help he, people if, if you know, $1,000 essentially does you no, nothing after it adjust, adjusts for inflation? 
Again, trillions of dollars a year. Would this not cause inflation? Another question, how would you pay for this? Would you raise taxes and then essentially redistribute the wealth? You know, this. these are all interesting concepts that we have to consider about UBI before we actually do it. But now let's actually get into the coronavirus standpoint of this all. The, the idea behind this bill, if you look behind this bill, they're assuming that we are going to stay shut down for longer. A monthly cash payment, a, a bigger and a more monthly feature. That's assuming that Americans are going to need this for a longer period of time than a month. And this is something many conservatives and Republicans have been suggesting. We open up the economy now. As we follow in Georgia's footsteps, if we open up now and workers get back to work, they start getting that income. More businesses survive than they would if we opened up tomorrow by opening up today. You know, that's going to save the most jobs and the most money. But this bill assumes that we're going to stay shut down and Americans are going to be reliant on this money for months to come. So it's promoting the lockdown even further. Instead of focusing on stimulus packages, we need to focus on the number one thing that will boost the economy, which is reopening the economy. So, you know, this all assuming that we're going to be locked down forever, if that's really what Democrats have in mind, you know, that's not something we can be doing and something that we need to stop doing and reopen the economy now. So that's it for this episode of The James Wilson Show. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll talk to you Friday.